Okay, welcome to another episode of AlphaCast. My name's Mike, and I'm here with Dr. Bear Lando. We are from Alpha Vedic up here in the lower Pacific Northwest, off-grid on the Smith River. And every week we come to you live on DLive and record this as a podcast as well as we cover all sorts of topics in um, quote-unquote alternative medicine, history, science, culture, and everything in between. Today's a uh, part two of our Bouchamp versus Pasteur and the germ theory hoax, which part one, I kind of took the reins a little bit there because um, I was reading um, based on the reading of Ethel D. Hume's Bouchamp or Pasteur, A Lost Chapter in History of Biology. I have finished the book pretty much. And the last few chapters on anthrax and on um, hydrophobia or what we call rabies is really interesting and I'd love to hear some words from the doc on that stuff. But today we're going to kind of summarize quickly um, the nature of the Bouchamp versus Pasteur a historical context because it's super important. It sets the foundation for moving forward um, in the campaign for vaccination and germ theory and we're in literally where we are today with Western medicine. It has set the foundation for um, everything that we're told today in terms of our biology and why we get sick and the things that we need to do to prevent us from getting sick, which is becoming uh, very politicized of late. I mean, it has been politicized even since Pasteur and Bouchamp's day. So we'll discuss that and uh, take us from basically the late 1800s till now. So this should be a great journey through history and science and medicine, and hopefully we can illuminate some folks on how and where we've gone wrong and how we can turn the tide and um, actually get into how our body works and how we can uh, easily heal ourselves. And um, as a kind of funny note, um, I woke up kind of feeling crappy today. <laughs> so um, as I was telling the doc uh, right before we came on, I'm, I'm sacrificing myself for the good of the podcast so we can use myself as a test case here. Um, how are you today? And I gave them an, oh, good. Um, I recommend you run off and get an antibiotic shot for that right away. Uh, already done. I've injected myself with 32 uh, shots this morning. Good. <laughs> Drink a quart of Clorox bleach too, just to uh, make yes. sure. <clears throat> bleach my, uh, my entire innards, because as Pasteur would say, um, the inside of us is basically like wine. Um, where we are completely devoid of any change or anything that um, could possibly go wrong. It's like a sterile environment. Maybe that's a good kickoff for the show. Um, yeah, what do you think about that? Yeah, that's an interesting analogy because um, when I make my herbal tinctures, we, uh, we duplicate the whole process in the body, starting with understanding that... Uh, you take an herbal substance and it's like um, you make a wine out of it, but the wine is like the breaking down of all the constituents. And then the whole process proceeds from there where you, um, you basically take it all apart and put it together in a more optimal form uh, so that it works on many levels. And so when uh, Bashir was uh, using an analogy of wine, he had a lot more in, in mind because he was, 
from the old Europe, European school of alchemist. And, um, you know, you have to read a lot between the lines that you'd only be able to do with uh, people like that if you have a good background of where their mindsets were at back in those days. And if people like Bouchamp and uh, his understandings were left alone, we would be much more in advance today than uh, the sorry state we're in. Yeah, um, it's pretty interesting how within just, man, a hundred and what is it now? 140 years, let's say, um, we've completely um, commoditized to the, these concepts that posture really well. And we'll, I, I would love for you to explain this a little better, but basically what we were talking about in um, episode one of this is that Pasteur essentially stole ideas from Bouchamp and then twisted it into the germ theory and then he was the first to really figure out a way to commoditize this concept with the anthrax vaccine, um, the chicken, was it cholera vaccine? And then, of course, the rabies or what they called hydrophobia, which is really interesting. And I'd love to go into a little bit of history of that because I was that's kind of where I finished off reading about with rabies and how essentially rabies don't exist really, um, which, is, which is cool to talk about because um, I always think about the famous um, To Kill a Mockingbird scene uh, in the book and the movie where they've got the rabid dog coming down the street, foaming at the mouth, and everyone's freaking out, you know, and I remember as a kid, just that, that impression really resonating with me and being just so scared of dogs. Of, of you mean, especially like you mean Old Yeller? Old Yeller, you mean, or was that in... No, was that, that was... Different- that was actually in um, To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, I'm sure it was in old. It was in Old Yeller too, where they have to put down the dog. Oh yeah, which was. Oh, they propagandized every kid in the world with Old Yeller. That was a tearjerker. You know, that never leaves your consciousness. Yeah, they they that was very traumatic. Um, and with uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, which was one of my favorite books growing up. Um, there's a famous scene where this dog is coming into town and he's frothing at the mouth. Who was the actor in that? Um, great actor uh, in the movie. Um, Blank and was Albert. it Gregory? Gregory Peck. Yeah, Gregory yeah. Peck. I think that's one of my I was supposed to read that book in uh, high school uh, literature, and I think I read the cliff notes instead to get by. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cliff notes. They're an amazing tool for back in the day. Now you just like Google stuff. Um, but yeah, basically um, that really stuck in my mind where I was just always, I was like, I don't get it. Dogs can just turn, you know, uh, rabid if you will, and, and be super dangerous. Um, and this was all led from posture. He was the one that really kind of um, pushed the idea of hydrophobia, which is interesting. I guess it's the concept that when you when you when you get bitten by a dog that has rabies and then you get the rabies, um, the way that you die is that your throat get, contracts and it makes it really hard to drink and eat. And so the idea of hydrophobia is that you're scared of water, and that's where the term comes from because literally drinking will kill you. Um, and uh, he comes up, of course, with the vaccine, which we can talk about, which uh, is proven just totally uh, disastrous for uh, so many uh, ways with uh, 
with how they put it out. But also more than that, it was, I think, one of the more profitable vaccines he'd come up with because you think about it, every single dog in the world is um, vaccinated for rabies. In fact, if you don't have your rabies tag, they'll take your dog away. Um, and uh, it, so it's a really interesting way that um, he was first able to commoditize this, the quote-unquote science he was developing. And now they don't just take our dogs away, they take us away. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, yeah, but um, so going back to the idea that, um, and, and posture, you know, it's, it's interesting that his own body, his own health really reflected um, his scientific theories because unlike Bouchamp, who lived to a very old age and was vital until the day he died, and of course, at his funeral, it was like five people there where Pasteur, in, you know, the entire French uh, scientific community showed up and even beyond that, and the whole Academy of Science was there and everything. Um, but Pasteur um, aged quite rapidly and actually uh, suffered from paralysis himself. And... <laughs> And you know was that very you know that sorry, go ahead. I was just I was, gonna I was just gonna say present day go ahead. I was just gonna say he was just a very sick individual. Go ahead. Yeah. Present day medical doctors have a very uh much less life expectancy than the general population. Did you know that? Oh, it doesn't shock me with uh the one that they're crazy hours and two, all the stress they put under and three uh, a lot of doctors I know smoke cigarettes and nurses. I was just at a party with my wife, who is the healthiest person I know, who's a nurse, who um, never gets sick because she kind of resonates at a higher frequency than most I know. Shout out to my wife. Um, but we were at a party with, uh, and it was a fun party uh, up, up north of us with a, a lot of her nurse friends. And I was shocked by like 75% were smoking cigarettes. And, you know, tobacco has its um, its benefits and tobacco itself, you know, uh, shamans use it in, in rituals and it's um, it has been shown to help with creative endeavors and stuff. And I've uh, in the past have taken part in using tobacco for certain things. Um, you know, I think tobacco in an organic pure form, just like cannabis can have a lot of benefits, but when you're smoking Marlboro Reds, well, well you know, slamming tequila, um, that's not the most, uh, that's not the best picture of health, but what would always shock me is when I go to hospitals and you see the doctors outside taking smoke breaks, smoking their camels. I don't think shamans are chain smokers either. <laughs> I don't think they're, they're, uh, packing a, a pack of, uh, Marlboros or camels either. I think they're, you know, typically rolling tobacco that they get but anyways yeah and that's used in a ceremonial situation they're not <laughs> they're not out chain smoking as you say but um yeah that's uh, an interesting um point of note that um doctors have a much lower life expectancy than uh the average populace you would th it really should be the opposite if we were living in a sane world where um the the individuals responsible for society's health um should be the ones living the longest, right? Yeah, and one of the guys we'll talk about today, Gunther Enderlein, who was the um, predecessor or successor, I should say, of Bouchamp that took Bouchamp's work to the next level, you know, lived until his 90s and was in perfect health, and then he got hit by a truck, literally. 
Uh, that's how he passed. And I've got a few colleagues that were my early teachers, and they're still going strong. They're, you know, in their 90s. And, you know, now, so. is there is there a conspiracy about Gunther's demise? Or was this just uh, uh, an accident or what? I don't, I, I, I don't think there's a conspiracy behind it, but you never know. Yeah. Well, that's a way to go out, I guess, you know, rather than um, like Pasteur, who was just living in pain and, and paralyzed. And uh, that's the way to go. Just boom, done. Bye-bye. Moving on to the next, next phase. Um, as long as you get hit by a Mack truck, so there's no lingering. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. got to be a semi-diesel-powered, uh, you know, uh, it's not, not, a, not an old uh, Datsun going 20 where you're maimed and then suffering. Um, but uh, yeah, so back to the Bichamp Pasteur thing, I was reading, kind of finishing up my reading and um, the anthrax thing was really interesting because we've had anthrax in the news in the last, you know, as anthrax is like the favorite um, psychopath terrorist thing now, right? You put anthrax in a, in an envelope and send it to, um, send it to, uh, your favorite politician or person. And so anyways, the anthrax thing was big in the late 1800s. It was decimating, I guess, I don't know. This is what posture and his cronies were saying that it was something that they really had to tackle is decimating herds of goats and sheep and such. And so, um, he, uh, devised a way, uh, to like he did with the cholera stuff. And it's funny, Bouchamp called him out on it. He was like, you know, the way that they find the, um, the germ is that they have to take it out of a, an animal. So, which was ironic because, um, Pasteur said that the, that everything comes from the outside, right? It's germs in the air, but then he, to, to actually do his scientific studies, he'd have to go find an animal that had the, um, symptoms and then and then isolate the germ inside this animal and then pull it out and inoculate and inject it in a healthy animal and in fact in his kind of frankenstein science thousands if not hundreds of thousands of animals were tortured and maimed and killed while he was sticking needles in them uh you know and of course they justify this through the, the you know these animals can suffer and die for the sake of humanity fast forward to today with all the animal rights advocates. Um, and yet they seem to have no problem with vaccines where animals are tortured and maimed and killed still to this day for the purpose of vaccines. Right. So, um, that's the game plan. Yeah. So along with, uh, with the anthrax thing, um, it's really interesting to see the just statistics and, you know, Pasteur was one of the original guys to figure it out how to really tweak statistics for his own purposes. And he's called out on it at the uh, International Medical Congress in 1878, which is the famous one we talked about in episode one, where he basically claims um, that he was the one that basically, you know, showed uh, that um, where germs come from and he stole Bouchamp's ideas and then actually had the gall while Bouchamp was in the audience. This was an international um, Congress where all the big scientists of the world were at. And so Bichamp was there and he had the gall to say Bichamp 
actually stole these ideas from Pasteur. And then that's when Bichamp couldn't take it anymore. He stands up and says, you charlatan, you know, I can't take it anymore. Cause he didn't, what's funny is this was an international Congress and Bichamp was such a gentleman that he didn't, because um, Pasteur was a fellow Frenchman and he didn't want to denigrate uh, a fellow countryman in front of internationals that he held his tongue until finally Pasteur just couldn't help himself and had it, you know, Pasteur did not like Bichamp because Bichamp was actually a real scientist and was the real deal. And Pasteur was a charlatan. So uh, he actually went as far to say, oh, yeah, by the way, you know, Bichamp, nice try, but he's still in ideas for me. So Bichamp stands up and and at this point, Pasteur just leaves, which is so funny. He just says he just like mic drops and leaves the room. So Bishop, poor Bishop can't even have an argument with him because he's just gone. So it's just, it's, it's just really funny uh, little history note um, there. And um, once again, the book that we're talking about is Bishop or Posture, a lost chapter in the history of biology. It's really a great read. It, it's pretty intense, but it really takes all of the documentation from the Academy of Science uh, in France because they documented everything. They were a scientific you know, they're the National Scientific Academy, so it's all there. Um, but yeah, the statistics uh, for uh, his wonderful anthrax uh, is is really wild. Like, I guess the, there was the Italian scientists who uh, took it upon themselves to um, to mimic and do the exact experiments that Pasteur did at the time, and they just called him out and said, "Hey, all of our sheep are dying." what's going on. And they had a, a back and forth with Pasteur and Pasteur is he, he saw that, that they were laying a trap for him because of course the Italians are no joke. They come from a history of, of knowing how, um, Oh, what's the guy's name in the, the age of enlightenment or the um, Renaissance, the famous, Leonardo? no, the famous Italian who, who, who Orlando? developed, who de no, no, who developed the political pandering, the political, Machiavelli, right? So they understood the Machiavellian dialect and how um, truth can be twisted for the purposes of getting um, for political control. And so they saw right through Pasteur and they called him out and were like basically saying, hey man, um, everything you're doing is not working. Our sheep are dying. Um, what's going on here? And then Pasteur had the gall to say, you're doing it wrong let me come out and show you what exactly you're doing wrong and why my vaccine works. And they said, great. And then they, they're with their Machiavellian mind knew how he was going to trick them. And without getting too technical here, they gave him a number of um, scientific uh, kind of, um, you know, uh, steps that the heat was, they're like, if you come out here, you have to do this, this, and this. Which would mean, which would ensure that that he was actually doing the the experiment, if you will, correctly. And he saw that it was a trap, and it was going to expose him. So then he went to the Academy of Science and said, "Oh, I guess the Italians don't want me to come." <laughs> and so this is a just Pasteur, you know, what he does, and and a lot of people learn from him, I think, <laughs> and we're like, "Wow, okay." Um, so yeah, this is the way to go about. Uh, tackling anyone doubting our uh, methods, um, we'll just uh, go ahead and deflect. And, um, and so Pasteur is funny. He, he even, uh, 
he even says, he has a famous line about basically like history will prove me right. That in the end, these vaccines and everything I created will, will save man from the scourge of, um, you know, everything from uh, influenza to smallpox to rabies, et cetera. And then you look at the statistics of um, anthrax and later um, rabies, and you see that it's like an 85% death rate from the inoculations. So what Pasteur does is he says that in his, but in his studies, it was only like 2%. And that's because he says, and this is a great example of what the CDC and stuff do today still, that you cannot count deaths that were at the time of the inoculation or up into 15 days of the inoculation, only 15 days and after. Because he's saying that that was the inoculation, um, it just, that was his way of tweaking the numbers. And so his numbers were way different because, of course, with the nature of what was going on here, people were just dying. And well, the animals with the anthrax were dying left and right, right upon the inoculation because they were literally getting injected with a foreign substance. And this is something that you can explain better, Bear, is that basically, you know, what vaccines are and with the, um, uh, everything that he was doing is he was pulling, <clears throat> he was pulling the, um, the isolated germ or microbe or bacteria, et cetera, out of, a, uh, of a sick animal and then injecting it into a healthy animal. And no matter what that is, there's studies that show if you just inject water, if you inject, um, any kind of, uh, foreign substance, or bio, biological substance into a healthy being, you're going to have adverse effects. So he was actually creating new illness too with the uh, with the rabies, especially. He created a new type of illness, a new type of rabies that had never been seen before. And so the Russians um, were unfortunately duped into doing this with the anthrax, and there was something like 88% of their sheep died upon injecting, inoculating. So, yeah, it's, uh, but then, of course, Pasteur would argue, no, that was within 15 days. That doesn't count. So just another example of all the uh, ludicrous stuff that um, they were doing to um, deflect the, the true nature of what was going on there. And you see it in statistics today too. I mean, and we can get into statistics more and more. I've got, I've got some from this book and I'm sure Barry, you're aware. So of it Mike, Mike, are we recording now? We've been recording. Oh, okay. <laughs> Didn't even know we we're on. Yeah. I did the whole intro. And oh, I missed the intro. I guess I'm thinking about something else. <laughs> it's okay. Well, I think what we should do is back up. And uh, kind of recap what we did last week. Uh, you did an excellent job uh, giving us a thorough history on Bouchamp and Pasture, a little bit that you're reemphasizing right now. And uh, so I think the takeaway for the audience is this. It's apparent that um, for some reason, the person uh, esteemed as the icon of modern microbiology in the uh, AMA is a fraud and a huckster. So that leaves me a bit curious. So do you have any ideas why they would um, choose such a person, Michael? Well, if you, 
it, well, there's a few things here. Um, and the book doesn't get into the more conspiratorial stuff. And I'm really basing a lot of my knowledge off this book, these two books I read, because as we talk about a lot on the show, you can start going down the Google rabbit hole this day and age, and you're getting, as we know with the technocrats today, they'll really channel you into their dogmatic storylines. So you got to go to source and you got to go back. And so I, I'm not a biology major or physician, so I haven't gone to traditional schooling or alternative schooling on this. So I'm going first and foremost to this, um, this book that actually you recommended to me. And what's great about this book is that um, it's really just a straight up scientific or, or a historical study into the actual um, primary sources from the Academy of Science and pulling out the actual words of both Bishamp and Pasteur, and then also what was notated at these uh, events, like the uh, International Medical Mars. So, um, but to answer your Actually, question, I was just looking for a shorter, yeah, yeah I was looking so, for the, oh, the to, obvious uh, short to answer. Your answer question, yeah. To answer your question, that was a, a, sorry, an aside there, but to answer your question, um, I think it's two, two things. Uh, one, um, Pasteur himself was the type of person that is perfect for the establishment because of his hubris and his ego. Um, he kind of fell in perfectly into the historical kind of setting that they were looking for because he's the type of person who really cared more about what people thought of him and his political and social status as a pseudoscientist. So I think one, he was just the perfect kind of um, personality at the perfect time. And then two, um, due to the nature of what he was able to um, uh, create, which was germ theory, which was something that could be commoditized uh, versus Bouchamp, who, um, who essentially came up with the idea with the microzemas and everything that, hey, we are just kind of naturally um, always changing inside and we can heal ourselves. It's pretty hard to commoditize that. So that's the short answer that yeah. I have. Okay. Good. And, and so I was just being a little facetious with that question as well. I mean, obviously, they have a narrative that they want to further. They have an agenda behind the narrative. So they get any stooge. It's the same game plan that they're repeating today over and over. Anybody that they can get to carry the water, whether they, you know, however they get these people to do these things to either lie or be stupid. And, um, and it furthers their narrative and, and they get their way over us. So can we, can uh, we do one question. thing real quick, Bear? Because I know a lot yeah. of people it, that aren't as into this as us and that are listening that are trying to really learn about this that might be all pro-vaccine, which is fine. You know, everyone comes from their own place. Uh, you know, a lot of times we say they, they did this, they did this. Can we give a little enlightenment on who the they is? And we don't have to get too intense, but just an overall, just a quick encapsulating thing. Cause we, I do hear that a lot. You're like, you know, who's this they you're always talking about? How far back you want to go? Well, exactly. Um, without getting too intense and just a, maybe a broad stroke kind of concept of what the they is. <laughs> Well, this is a centuries-old agenda because uh, not that many thousands of years ago, we were very enlightened as far as how the body really works in our place in the universe, and uh, we've entered the dark ages, and it's taken a few centuries to get us there, but here we are nevertheless, and with certain technological uh, events 
now reappearing in our culture, we take that to think that we're in an advanced stage of enlightenment, which in, uh, which in fact is actually the opposite. So uh, the truth has always been known. Uh, we're experiencing the uh, apex of the dark ages. Uh, we're now hitting critical mass where a lot of people are waking up and we're coming out of it. So it, who they are is, uh, goes back a long time. And uh, this is something that, uh, you know, was uh, perpetrated through the Vatican, uh, where the Vatican, you know, had us believing in uh, demons and, and uh, bad spirits. And, and the, the doctors of that day would, you know, do all sorts of uh, barbaric things to purge people of these evil spirits. Uh, now we have germs. It's, it's the same old thing, uh, you know, couched in a different narrative. But there's always something bad trying to get us. And uh, that's why contemporary medical doctors uh, are really wartime consiglieros, you know, uh, you know, because we're always at war. You know, we're wondering why there's no peace in the world and how can we have world peace? Well, it starts with yourself. And when we really wake up and stop making war on our own bodies with chemo, with radiation, with vaccines, with antibiotics, um, you know, then we'll see peace in the world. But it starts at home, and that's where you have to go to RDs, real doctors, who know how to assist you in that process. Okay, so I think, um, you know, rather than go into a lot of the present-day uh, culprits that I think you're alluding to with, uh, you know, the, the Vatican, the, the Rothschilds, the different royal families, um, you know, and uh, the operatives, uh, that are alive and well, serving as front uh, uh, men in our uh, present-day administrations, um, I think it would serve us better maybe to go back to uh, Bouchamp. And the fact is, is he was a real deal. He was making inroads and in understanding the presence of microbes. They, they, yeah, they do exist in the external environment that he demonstrated with his fermentation uh, procedures that or experiments that you talked at length about last time. He also found that there were organisms that lived inside of us that were natural ecobionts or part of our uh, internal ecology uh, uh, without which life would be impossible for us. And uh, his uh, successor, who I was about to talk about, was Enderline, Gunther Enderline. Now, Enderline just took Bouchamp's understanding a step further because he actually visualized uh, these creatures, and then chronicled their cycles within us. And if you look at nature, everything works in very pre precise and predictable cycles. Uh, even the human cycle, we go through uh, birth, uh, various stages of maturation and decline. Uh, it works that way with the elements in the soil. Uh, we can get in more involved um, uh, discussions about the physics of it, which is where we really need to go because if you don't understand the physics of it, then you're still going to be in darkness no matter what. So uh, we'll get there. And, uh, you know, that's why I always bring it up because we really need to go to the next level real quick. Okay, so back to Enderline. Uh, Enderline coined a term called pleomorphism because he observed these organisms in our body uh, that he called chondritans or what I was taught and you know because I did the old, the old school German uh, training myself in microbiology uh, we called them proteids and these are like little sparkles of light that you see under a dark filled microscope a dark filled microscope um, uh, um, 
allows you to see things in their live form. You don't uh, stain your slide samples and therefore you can actually see what's going on for real. And these uh, dark field microscopes have gone through different levels of evolution. Certain people like Royal Rife and Gaston Nasons, who we'll talk both about, uh, you know, refined these microscopes so they were able to see things uh, with even better resolution and therefore come to, uh, you know, even better understandings of what we're seeing in the first place. So what, um, what Gunther was, uh, Enderlein was able to demonstrate that Bouchamp was in fact right and that it's not the germ that's important, it's the ecology, because depending on the ecology, which means the, the, the balance of your health uh, or, or of your internal ecosystem, that determines what these organisms do. So if your internal environment goes south, in other words, you get less healthy, out of balance in various ways, then what happens is these, um, these little helpers, these organisms, that do all the important functions for us to exist in a biological form, then they start pleomorphically progressing through different stages. I've watched this myself thousands and thousands of times under the microscope looking at many people's blood samples. And, uh, and you see these change from one form to the next form to another form. I have pictures of them sitting here. I'll put some up in a bit. Um, and then when they get to certain phases, it's what present-day medics identify as bacteria, fungi, and so forth. But what they don't appreciate is that those morphologically changed uh, size, shape, and function in order to meet the demands of the environment. So rather than attacking them and uh, you know, circumstantially implementing them because they find them at the scene of the crime of a sore throat or some other so-called infection. You know, infection is really a misnomer uh, because these organisms are really scavengers or recyclers, just like in the external environment in a natural habitat when, uh, you know, flies and fungi and all sorts of things, uh, you know, uh, get to the scene where there's an old dead animal or, or, or some such thing or decaying plant matter and help it return to the soil. Well, the same thing's happening in our bodies today. And without these recyclers or, say, streptococcus being at the scene of a sore throat, uh, if we understood, we would be able to take measures to help them do their job. We wouldn't have the sore throat as long or could even prevent it in the first place and then be healthier in the long run. In other words, uh, you know, strengthen our natural immunity. So Enderline was able to visualize the progressions of these uh, organisms through all these stages and uh, the basis of bioterrain medicine, which I've practiced for decades, is to have ways to assess the, uh, the body, including microbiology uh, as assessed through a microscope, and understand how to um, assist these microorganisms and then return them to their non-pathogenic or non-recycler forms. So the symptoms go away, but in the process you get healthier and not sicker because you just went in and napalmed everybody because you say, oh, they must be the bad guys because they were here. And, um, and of course, these guys will do things like secrete uh, certain factors that promote inflammation and swelling and, and oozing of mucosal tissues, which makes you cough and sneeze and have a runny nose and, and you know, uh, have all sorts of internal issues. But they will not overstay their welcome and provoke those symptoms uh, as long as you allow them to finish their job. Contemporary medicine does not allow them to finish their job. 
That's why antibiotics have been greatly implemented with cancer because cancer in and of itself, uh, going off on a little bit of a tangent here, but it's a good illustration, uh, are gross that if you understand the mechanism are designed to heal because cellular mass brings in more oxygen through every extra cell that's produced that is, uh, brings in an extra set of lungs to end fermentation and return uh, the physiology to an aerobic rather than anaerobic state and clean up the body's internal terrain. When they do the job, then these organisms, these recyclers, will digest the, the extra cells so that they don't keep growing or uh, you know, have the presence of an obstruction or what we think of as a tumor or disease. Now, when you overuse antibiotics, it uh, annihilates these populations in the body so they're not available when the biological expression of cancer happens, and therefore the tumors cannot be digested. They keep growing, and we have bigger problems. That's just one of the many reasons why cancer is epidemic and why you know, it's so problematic these days and cancer is not a disease. Microorganisms are not the cause of disease. They do not create infections. They recycle and help clean up our terrain. Uh, Gunther Enderlein demonstrated that. That was the basis of my training because that was the early German microbiology school that I went to. And uh, the next um, person after that was Gaston Naissons, a brilliant man who's still alive today. Uh, I studied personally with him. And uh, he developed a somatoscope that was able to see these organisms even in finer detail. Uh, and uh, he came up with the same exact thing, only instead of calling them uh, chondrites or, um, or protids, as I was trained to call them, uh, he called them somatids. But it's the same exact thing. And when you see pictures uh, of the cycles that he took with his somatoscope, it's the same exact cyclogeny that he that uh, was demonstrated by Enderlein they look the same we all see the same thing in fact when I uh, take a blood sample what I do is I have developers which are these organisms in the protein form in um, in uh, of all the ones that live inside of us so if I'm wondering okay which organism populations are active say if I'm seeing the the bacterial or advanced fungal forms that are you know, overstaying their welcome and creating problems in the body in order to treat them effectively, I, I need to know, are they from the, you know, mucoracemosis aspergillus from one of the penicillin varieties, uh, candida variety? And then uh, what I do is I put these proteids from all those different strains within the blood. The blood interacts, and depending on which one interacts, then you see an outgrowth of all these things in the blood on the instant. I mean, these things in the blood happen instantly. You know, you'll see them uh, go from one, uh, from one phase of the cycle to the next, uh, you know, in a matter of seconds. And then when you put these developers in, and depending which ones are provoking the response, then I know, okay, that gives me more than a clue as far as how I'm going to treat somebody and clean up their train and uh, use isopathics and things to put in the healthy protein variety that will uh, help people um, strengthen their immunity, uh, clean up the pathogenic forms that are overstaying their welcome and return the uh, immune system and the ecology to its natural balanced state. But by doing it that way, you're actually getting healthier, you're getting stronger as opposed to uh, contemporary uh, you know, shock and awe methods of medicine that just go in and kill everybody. 
and uh, you know, without any um, concern of collateral damage. So between Gunther Enderlein and um, uh, who came after Bouchamp and um, uh, Gaston Naissance, who I was just referencing, uh, you can't leave out Royal Rife uh, from San Diego. Now, Royal Rife was uh, renowned during his own time because people were coming to him from far and wide and having their cancers and all sorts of maladies clear up, you know, within moments. Of course, he was targeted and, uh, you know, his technology was destroyed and he was destroyed personally. He died as a kind of a, you know, a, a, a despondent drunk because they, they just uh, so severely abused him. Morris Fishbane, who is the head of the AMA at the time, led the charge. And, uh, but, you know, there's, since he was more recent in the 30s, uh, there's still a lot of, um, not just evidence, but a, a lot of uh, good accounts of his life, his work, even though his microscope, which was the most advanced to date, has been, um, you know, locked away and kept out of public eye because it would disprove everything that we're talking about in the germ theory of disease. So um, they, uh, there's a whole lot more we could go to after that. You, you jump in and- well, I was just uh, going to say, didn't they raid Royal Rife's um, practice and take all of his um, instruments and stuff and, uh, and eradicate? I mean, I'm sure they've got it locked away somewhere. And I know there's been people in the modern times that have tried to mimic that technology. We could do a whole show on Royal Rife. We really should. He was a fascinating character and he's actually really- probably uh, the names you've mentioned the best known in the alternative uh, scenes. Cause I hear him brought up a lot, but um, yeah, I would love to get in, do a whole show on him, but from what I remember, yeah. I think raided and they took all his stuff. And yeah, did. yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, it's the same thing that goes on today. Their playbook never changes. Um, Royal Rife was so far in advance. And uh, now the microscope that I use is a good one. It's not as good as Rife's, but we've developed ways to use uh, the microscope with less resolution and come to uh, the same conclusions that Rife came to because we have ways of um, extrapolating evidence by playing with the blood side, uh, slides in ways that compensate for the lack of resolution compared to the Rife microscope. Uh, one of those techniques is what I was just describing by uh, having the blood interact with certain developers that are, in fact, um, uh, you know, protists from the different varieties of the organisms that live inside of us and are responsible for our health and our longevity. Uh, I'll hold heck, this up. How the Go heck, ahead. though, and I know a lot of people are probably wondering, someone in the 1930s have a better microscope than what we have today with all the technology we have today? How about if you go back about 14,000 years ago and, uh, you know, and account for the fact that, you know, the world was like the Jetsons compared to today. And, uh, and then, you know, we're sold this entire false history and everything is just blacked out. Uh, you know, history that's totally fabricated, all the technologies buried. And we're again, you know, we've been Fred Flintstone completely and uh, we don't even know it. And people are so 
thoroughly mind-washed through our educational system and all of our institutions that when you even give them the evidence of the truth, they won't believe it because it's so far-fetched compared to the truth that they've been fed since birth. So the electron scanning microscope, right? I remember learning about that in high school. That was supposed to be, was that what it's called? It's like the, the, the strongest mm-hmm. one we have supposedly. Um, can that not see as much as what Rife had? Uh, yeah, fantastic resolution, but it has to do with the angulation of how you're looking at things and the projection of light into the samples that give you a different picture. Now, there's uh, some things that I can't talk about on open air, but there were efforts that I was intimately aware of uh, where um, a famous optic company was approached. Uh, I'll just say this right. Mm-hmm. Um, by people that had the funding, and you've heard some of this backstory in privately, Michael, if you remember, but uh, approach with the funding in order to develop a microscope that would be the perfect marriage between uh, um, uh, dark field uh, ty- type of concepts with electron light microscopy, which would revolutionize everything. And uh, this famous optics company that was very enthusiastic because they understood the amazing ramifications of such a project, um, they got the midnight phone call backed off and that project never proceeded. And um, some of the folks that were um, behind the funding, um, let's just say one of them in particular that I knew very well had a very early demise. (laughs) So that's just the way of the world. But yeah, electron light microscopy is is wonderful and and it's it's an amazing technology, but uh, it still has its limitations. I was going to show, you know, what I see under the microscope. Uh, Can you see this? Yeah, if you just uh, hold it up and steady, we can. Yeah, we see somatids, somatics, double spores, forms microbacterines. <laughs> so um, that's what you see under a microscope. I mean, you don't see it in a little circle like that. That's just a diagrammatic uh, representation. But what you do see, and I explained this a little bit in our last episode, is you see these little sparkling dots of light. Now, when the environment changes, and that's uh, when a person's healthy, you look at their blood, you want to have it look like, there's fireflies all over the place. That just means, you know, there's an abundance of these non-pathogenic um, uh, little proteids that are the basis of our immune system, like they're the troops in waiting, uh, you know, for anything they have to do to preserve our health and longevity. And uh, when you see other forms, it suggests that there's active processes going on. And when you see the blood cells themselves looking in a certain way or even having these guys kind of ooze out of them in a more of an advanced stage because these things are actually developed in the red blood cells themselves. They're produced by our own bodies, by our own cells. And, uh, and so when you see red blood cells in a less than optimal state, and an abundance of the more advanced cycles, then you know that there's a process going on in the body. And you can also tell when it's chronic and then gives you further evidence that this uh, terrain is not healthy. And then just coincidentally, whenever you're looking at somebody 
somebody's blood that is suffering uh, from some kind of chronic issue, you know, or cancer, uh, their blood usually looks like crap. And uh, you can tell exactly why they, they got there. You had a question? Like, well, I was just going to say it's kind of like water. When you look at water, if you look at a really alive water, you see it much more vibrant under the microscope. Precisely. Right? City water, which is... Precisely. Uh, yeah, as above. So yeah, you see nice, intricate, pretty crystals as opposed to these, you know, really kind of ugly geometric shapes that are all distorted. It's the same thing with the cells. And, you know, brings us back to the same old point, as above, so below. There is only one process in all of nature, and it all comes from electrical wave patterns, and then it nuances down through every level of life as above, so below. So it happens biologically at the level of the cell. It happens uh, elementally in the elements and minerals in our soil. And it happens at those uh, so-called subatomic levels, you know, which gets us back full circle to the electrical waveforms that got us there in the first place. <laughs> well, no, quantum is a great word that people throw around these days. Oh, quantum, that's groovy. You know, that's, that's the cutting edge, next level of enlightenment. No, quantum is a unit. There's no such thing as units in the universe. Units suggest particles, protons, uh, photons, atoms. Those don't exist. You Dark know, uh, when you look, yeah, when you look at uh, elements on the periodic table, there's one, only one element and it's called carbon, and, and it's carbon because carbon is a perfect representation, and this, I'll just throw out some concepts that won't make sense to anybody, but uh, as, uh, you know, the elements go through the octaves, it's a musical octave going from the fourth to the fifth uh, octave, carbon is that perfect peak, it's like the human being in their, in their peak state of life when they're 40 years old, they're robust, they haven't started their decline and their accumulation of just a good, healthy uh, life of regeneration. And uh, carbon represents that in uh, the so-called world of physicality. Everything else are just tonal fields working up the octaves to get to that peak of so-called physicality. And everything, you know, hydrogen is carbon uh, you know, in the fourth octave and, you know, and then, and, and, and the same thing with all the other elements, just like this, the microbes in our body, they're always in the state of being or becoming. There's, uh, you know, just, again, we used uh, the um, example of even humans where, you know, infancy through maturation, through decline, it's a cycle. Life works in cycles, qualitative mathematics allows you to uh, understand how it's a predictable, predictable methodology used by nature in every single natural process. And when you understand one of the processes on any level, whether it's a level of, uh, of uh, waveform mechanics or microbiology, then you will understand everything. Know yourself and you will understand the universe. You will know the universe. All these uh, old sayings actually were... Uh, really telling us exactly the way it works. They weren't just trite sayings for Zen masters or something. So, um, you know, back to microbiology, um, you know, if you understand how these things are responsible for our health, when you understand 
uh, how to look at them uh, relative to uh, an individual who finds himself with a particular malady, then you can return that ecosystem to health, not by attacking a disease, but by returning the ecology to a balanced state, which means you have to focus on these microorganism populations because they are the key to everything. And not just because of their biological activity, but because they are the conveyors of informational field fields within our bodies, in other words, responsible for the communication between the different levels of our consciousness. So they play a very, very important role. And isn't it curious that our present medical system is doing their darnest to kill these little buggers in, in every possible way they can, and they have us in a mindset of self-sacrifice and warfare on our own bodies in order in the name of health, which in fact it is the exact opposite. And now we have uh, forced vaccination and all these other things that are really, really, in my opinion, worse than the original inquisitions back in what we think of as the dark ages. Yeah, I've been saying that a lot lately. I've re-embraced Twitter just because while I'm not a fan of the company, it's a great uh, public sphere for discussion. And so I've jumped back on and um, that's what I keep finding myself saying is we are in the dark ages because there is a lot of activists waking up just out of sheer need or sheer force of you know their lives being affected by um, the medical, uh, the current medical system. And you know, there's a lot, I know there's a lot of, of doctors out there who really want to help and want, and they're in a system. It's like the teachers too. There's, um, you know, and we say this a lot, like most humans are wonderful, loving people. And all they want to do is help the world, help their fellow man. Um, of course, we're told differently by modern science that we're all just robots, machines, and we uh, tend to uh, act selfishly and uh, hurt each other and you know we got to defend against all the outside threats of, of other humans and other germs it's you're right it's putting us in a constant kind of uh, sympathetic nerve system where we're always on fight or flight but um, my point is that on the Twitter and stuff I keep having put putting down like we are in the dark ages people we are in the dark ages do you not see this like and this is a great talk that we're having today because hopefully this will bring people out of the microcosm of the current discussion where they're arguing within the same framework right the whole vaccine debate and everything where these there's great people that are coming out like uh uh bobby kennedy jr who's a huge advocate for um you know thinking about you know double thinking again or thinking twice about what are we doing what the what's this path we're going down with mandated vaccines and other doctors that are stepping out in the limelight saying, hey, man, this is not scientific, but they're still arguing within a framework of this kind of, uh, as you were saying, um, you know, based around particles and erased around the materialism. And we need to break away from that and see and have real science embrace the real nature of reality. So it always goes way deeper, but hopefully this show and future shows and the guests that we have will help kind of break that that mode that we're in and with more moderate conventional circles they're you know discussing well some vaccines are better than others and uh, maybe some are necessary well there's no such thing as a good vaccine 
There, it just doesn't exist because it's all based on the germ theory of disease, which is pure malarkey. And that brings us back to the point of our whole discussion, which is Beauchamp versus Pasteur. Pasteur that was used in order to uh, perpetuate a narrative that there are mysterious, invisible creatures that kill us. And with some of the other people that, um, you know, followed Bouchamp that we've already talked about, they not only proved out Bouchamp uh, in greater detail, but uh, developed therapies that to this day exist and, uh, you know, even alternative doctors aren't trained in these things anymore because the schools that I went to in, uh, you know, early European biological medicine circles, they're, they're all gone. Everybody's, uh, you know, retired or dead. And uh, unfortunately, it's a lost art and a lot of the pharmacies that produced the isopathics and, um, you know, the things that we rely on heavily in order to return the ecology to normal uh, are under great attack. A lot of these products are now banned in the U.S., things that, you know, I used to use freely at one time early in my career. Now, you know, we have to uh, go through back channels to get certain things like you're doing a drug deal or something, you know. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's uh, not that great of a situation. And, no. you know, in my early years, because, uh, you know, I, I was in naturopathic college and chiropractic college. And, you know, before that, I, you know, in, in uh, uh, more of my conventional medical certification, uh, you know, back in those days, I never dreamt in a million years that we would find our place, ourselves in this place that we, we are today. It just, I wouldn't have believed it ever that we've devolved so much just in my career lifetime. So anyway, um, if you go beyond uh, Enderline, Rife, uh, Gaston, Nasons, you can jump to another level of reality that will get you totally out of the box of germ theory altogether and understand that biology is a product of our psyche. Now, uh, this is way too much to get into today, but that would take us to new German medicine where neurological um, proof was demonstrated on how biological processes are initiated by our psyche so that biology would mimic things that are going on on our deeper levels of consciousness that are impeding our journey at the level of the soul. So, in other words, showed absolutely uh, true that our biology is a vehicle for um, our inner spiritual journey. And in this simulation, uh, it allows us to have a very rich and vivid feedback to keep us honest every moment and also go to bat with for us when we're unconscious about certain things that are impeding us and nevertheless still express biologically so that um, you know the energetic consequences are quelled in a way where we can still progress on our more important journey of the soul. And then in order to understand what uh, new German medicine demonstrated with conventional neurological studies, uh, then you have to go to the level of physics and what we always just kind of loosely term as waveform mechanics that would explain... Um, certain things uh, beyond what new German medicine explained. So what I found in, in my training and why I just kept looking around every bend and I'm still doing that, 
is that there's no one school that gets you there, but the, you know, humanity's journey is, uh, you know, one person like Bouchamp handing the torch over to the next person, Enderline, and so forth, all the way uh, up and down the line. And in all of my studies in the three major types of medical school that I did, uh, you know, I still had to supplement it with many other schools outside of those to fill in all the missing pieces because for some reason, there's nobody out there that's teaching this stuff all in one spot. But if you go back thousands of years ago to some of the uh, Chinese and Ayurvedic masters, uh, because they came from cultures where inner exploration was more important than academic book learning, they were able to know themselves at a deep level first and understand the patterns within themselves and look outside in the nature and observe the same exact patterns and then model their therapy and their empirical investigation after these patterns that they knew from their, you know, their inner exploration. Uh, we're devoid of that kind of experience now, so we're hypnotized into what Deepak Chopra calls the superstition of materialism, what we call reductionistic scientific investigation, and I believe we're supposed to do both, and I'm glad I learned the biological sciences, uh, physics, and chemistry, and all those things, because it's a great way to see how these larger patterns that come from inside of us play out and, uh, you know, and leave their, uh, uh, you know, their breadcrumbs in the form of uh, uh, microbes, elements, and any level that you can, you know, inspect. And, but then if you're coming from the larger context of understanding where it comes from in the first place, now you can put that observation uh, with contemporary science to a practical use and not do stupid things that are actually killing us, killing our environment, keeping us in a perpetual state of war and used deliberately as a method of population reduction on this planet at this very time. Wow. You just um, crushed it on so many levels there. <laughs> um, where do I even go back to? Well, you, you kind of preceded my question because I was just about to ask, well, then why do we get sick? Uh, and you basically hinted at it with the new German medicine model with the relating to our psyche. So for instance, like yesterday, I started feeling a little crappy. My son had a, a little bit of uh, a post-nasal drip over the weekend, and now I have it. So traditionally, people would say that he coughed, something went through the air, I, I got that germ, and now I'm sick. So, you know, is that true? Or it seems like what we're going through seems that it's much more complex than that. But, um, well, let's, sorry, go ahead, finish. I was just going to say, well, I'm pretty, pretty much leaving it off there. Um, uh, is this a psychological, uh, connection that we have going on where it's like, he's sick now I'm sick or is, you know, I always struggle with this, with these ideas still. Let's go back to the original premise, uh, of waveform mechanics. Whether you want to accept it or not, it doesn't even matter. But let's just say for discussion purposes, everything comes from ideas in our consciousness. And these ideas create an electrical polarization, which creates the vibrations that create uh, an electrical resistance of sorts that registers to our senses. Our senses, never forget, are a product of the same simulation. Yeah, nothing more than like uh, an electronic game where you need a little box in order to 
you know, help you uh, play the game and see the little figures on the screen and, and, and get into the game. And uh, so our senses are devised. They're a, a, a contrivance in order to give us the feedback as far as how our ideas and the management of our belief systems, our, uh, our thoughts, our emotions are playing out on the screen. So um, here's what we want to take away from that. Everything comes from our own consciousness. And we are given our own little sandbox. We all are. And we're given the free will to do whatever the heck we want in it. And that means that everything that comes after that is downstream. So whether you're looking at elements in the soil, whether you're looking at microbes, whether you're looking at your finances, your relationships, it doesn't matter. They're all a product of electrical forces that you put in motion by way of your consciousness. So if you know everything starts there, how on earth from that point on could we think that we're succumbing to something that's a product of electrical forces? All it is, again, the circumstantial evidence that certain forces were put in motion. And those things aren't even physical, they're motion. Because when you have a polarization, when a thought is polarized and creates the vibrations that allow us to, um, you know, sense things in the, in the um, simulation, all we're sensing is motion. And that motion registers on our senses as a three-dimensional outpicturing. So now those motions are really aberrations, including uh, things that biological, rep, uh, biological representations of the motion. And if you can go to that level, and of course the masters of all time who take those extended inner journeys to prove to themselves, because you can't prove this to somebody else. You can't prove it to somebody at MIT. It's an inside job. So when you go there, you see, wow, in fact, that is where everything originates. And when you get to that point, then you realize that, wow, not only do I have to succumb to a graphic representation of a microbe, which is just a nuance of electrical forces, nor could it really create something in the first place unless it's a belief system. So let's just say... Um, you know, your kid got sick and then you wake up with the same thing. Well, what you were vulnerable to was not a micro, but you were vulnerable to an electrical phenomena. You know, your vulnerability was on other levels. You took on that energy field, we'll loosely say for lack of better words. And then that in turn creates the exact environmental conditions that provoke the morphological changes of microbes and things so that when you go to the dock, you're going to get the same creature cultured and identified as your kid got. And you say, oh, you both got strep throat or whatever. Hmm. That's the way it works. Wow. But at least with biological medicine, you can work with things after effects in a way that is going to reflex back in both directions. You know, it's going to do things so you don't shortchange yourself in your biological expression and then also allow the electrical forces within your own being in your biological expression to balance in a way where you're going to have a better uh, conduit, a clearer 
channel of uh, information coming into you from your higher electronic body, which is going to start turning on uh, uh, light bulbs right and left and show you exactly how this whole thing is working in the first place. So the first thing we have to get is knowledge. And because we have been so stupefied in our educational systems and we've had so much BS shoved down our throats, it's, it's like extracting people out of cement by trying to just lead them, you know, to a more enlightened approach. And in uh, my journey as an elect, uh, um, a medical practitioner, um, you know, you, you learn, you know, it's not a matter of judgment or saying that, oh, somebody is spiritually less aware, whatever. We're all on the same journey at different degrees. But, you know, you have to meet people with where they're at. So I don't have these conversations, you know, in my clinical days with everybody that walked in the door because, you know, they run out the back door as fast as they could because <laughs> it's just too much information. So what you're able to do is, you know, uh, take very grounded measures and like on a microbial level, you know, show them their blood under the microscope and, and uh, you, you know, do evaluations, give them programs, uh, do different modalities, you know, to first of all, help them feel better because you are balancing out the terrain and that will make them feel better. That will improve the electrical conductivity through their bodies. Their, uh, you know, their perceptive uh, bandwidth is going to increase and then that same individual that maybe came into you six months ago that wasn't ready to hear any of this garbage is all of a sudden reading different books, changing relationships, quitting their job, and uh, talking about all sorts of stuff that would have seemed fantastical to them on day one. But uh, all you have to do is, uh, you know, meet people where they're at. And uh, that's what we're all doing. We're all hearing exactly what we need to hear at the right time to just, uh, pr uh, you know, stimulate our next step and, um, you know, so that we can get on with what we're really here to do. And we aren't here to cure disease because disease doesn't exist. We aren't here to fight terrorism because terrorism doesn't exist. It's all a fabrication. It's theater and it's meant to keep us in the same box vaccines are to keep us in the box that if you don't do this you're going to get sick it's always the bad guys and and you know it's no different and no less stupid you know we'd all laugh and think it's silly to go back to the days when the vatican's telling people they you know they've got bad spirits or something and you know that's the source of their ills uh you know What's changed? Tell me, what has changed? The only thing is, is that we've got more invasive, pervasive uh, measures taken against us now that can harm us infinitely in greater ways compared to, you know, three centuries ago. Yeah, it's just a more science, it's scientism versus um, Catholicism or what have you. It's um, the new religion. Yeah. Yeah, and um, it all harks back to superstition. Um, even uh, um, back in the 1800s, you know, where actually vaccines were really kicking off. Here's a quick little side note. It all comes back from, it's funny, an Indian rite of subjecting people to an artificially induced attack. So this is the smallpox was brought over by Lady Mary Wortley uh, Montague. And she knew, she brought it from India 
And the idea was an Indian rite from India, subjecting people to an artificially induced attack of smallpox to propitiate Shitula Mati, which is the goddess of that torment. So, and this is where the actual words come from and everything. So it all comes from superstition and from uh, these controlling, um, you know, it's all controlled, these control systems that use fear and um, superstition to keep us in the dark. And we are seeing that now propelled through scientism, which uses a lot of fancy terms and a lot of fancy words and stuff that the average show is not going to take the time to investigate. And, you know, when it comes to vaccines, they prey upon the parents' fears of their kids getting sick. No parent wants to see their kids suffer. No parent wants to see their kids sick. So, of course, um, they're going to be do whatever they are told by those quote unquote professional, um, you know, people that are trained to know better. And so what makes it even more, uh, duplicit, you know, more just out of hand is that, that we, on top of the fact that we have scientism is that we have a, a media and an entire infrastructure that muddies the waters of perception because of profit. And that is, of course, big pharma, which we know came from um, the oil tycoons of the early 20th century. So not only do we have the ego and complete and total lunacy of scientism, but we have the commercial aspect that Pasteur really developed in a way that um, is now a you know, multi, multi-billion dollar industry. Yeah, you know, I, I've told this story before, but it, it's, I think, good hearing again. <clears throat> back, um, way, way back, I was working as a paramedic fireman, and uh, uh, Deb was expecting our first child. And, uh, you know, I was kind of working through hospitals and just in the conventional system. I did my certification at Stanford for the paramedic thing. And uh, so I was kind of in, in that whole school of thought, and uh, I had an old shoulder injury from uh, my old football days. So I thought, oh, I'll try a chiropractor. And I went up to Santa Rosa and saw this guy that came highly recommended, became a good friend, great guy. And uh, as I'm waiting in my first appointment in the waiting room, there's a book on the, on the table there. It's called Confessions of a Medical Heretic by Harold Mendelssohn, MD. And I picked it up. It's an easy book to read, read the whole thing while I was waiting. And uh, I, was, I was astounded because here's this uh, guy who's uh, chief of staff of a prestigious back east research hospital, and he's basically saying, don't get vaccinated. Now, that put me in, into an immediate turmoil because, you know, we're uh, planning on doing the regular thing and, and, you know, the vaccines and so forth. And, uh, of course, there's something inside of me that uh, was already intuiting things, you know, I was just ready to go there. And this book, non-coincidentally, was just sitting there. And but it put me through a lot of changes, because, you know, the fear of not vaccinating, and having my kid get sick, I'd never forgive myself. And then what I was reading in this book from a very reliable source was saying, well, you're gonna have worse problems if you do vaccinate, most likely. And, uh, you know, so I was really caught betwixt and between like a lot of people are these days so you know when we're really you know and I'm really going on on my rants 
I, I want people to understand, been there, done that. I understand what you're going through. I understand the cognitive distance that you experience when you hear new information. And I understand the emotional turmoil. And I didn't take that decision lightly. Uh, you know, fortunately, for whatever reason, both my wife and myself said, no, we can't do that. And we ended up, uh, you know, uh, getting a midwife and uh, delivering our kid at home so that, you know, it'd be easier not to subject them to a lot of other medical practices that I started, you know, fast forward, you know, my learning curve about all those things. And, uh, and, and I'm so glad and my kids even thank me to this day that we did it the way we did it. Um, and, and then at that time, you know, when I was going through that, uh, emotional turmoil, I never dreamt that in just in a few short years, I'd be, uh, uh, you know, with my own practice and having parents come to me heartbroken with their kids that were perfectly normal kids one moment and then, uh, completely destroyed autistic or retarded maimed in one way or the other, uh, you know, the day after they got their vaccines. And uh, so, you know, when you hear me go off in present time, it's because I've seen that happen one too many times for my liking. And I've also seen that in my early training, we're admonished, you know, you never give vaccines to kids in their first two years of infancy because their immune systems are too, uh, you know, uh, delicate in those developmental stages. And now we're up to what, like 72, I think in the, in the first two years. And, you know, so why all of a sudden it's a medical profession said, well, don't do that now. No, it's okay. And in fact, just throw the kitchen sink at your kids. And then of course, uh, you know, Michael, you, you, uh, keep yourself educated great on all this kind of stuff not only do they throw the kitchen sink at you but then the drug companies hold themselves uh harmless and immune to prosecution uh they do not allow safety tests to be done on um, most of their drugs especially vaccines because if they did the safety test everything would fail and then they wouldn't be able to sell them and then by their own words, they say, well, we don't want to do the safety test either, even though we know it's hurting people um, because we think it's more important to give them to people. So we don't have time to do the safety test. It's just absolute insanity. And in any other endeavor or avenue of life, nobody would put up with this kind of stuff. Well, even but now, meanwhile, we have people marginalizing and demonizing folks that are educated and, you know, uh, you know, coming up with pejoratives like uh, anti-vaxxers and all that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, even in like uh, pharma with the, the traditional um, pharmacopoeia of, you know, uh, the new pills and stuff they're coming out, they have to do double placebo blind studies and they don't do that for vaccines. And actually Jonas Salk, who of course is someone we haven't really talked about, but was the I guess the next step on the germ theory side after uh, Pasteur, and he's of course famous for polio, which is the number one thing that all pro-vaccine people use for the efficacy of vaccines that it rid the world of polio. He was adamantly opposed to the double uh, blind placebo. He uh, was totally against it. And they were more about the getting it out there than the safety. They were more about efficacy than safety because in their minds, 
um, it was such a, because they were already dogmatically in the belief of germ theory, that it was one, not, it's funny, they say it was not moral to do double, to do these studies because the only way to supposedly do it would be to um, uh, hurt kids, uh, which is hilarious. And that um, it would also um, cause them to stall where they needed to get this vaccine out ASAP before more were dying. And so they, um, then you had, uh, God, what was it the Cutter incident, um, which was Cutter Wyatt? where, um, and this is, I was just recently looking up this stuff. I don't totally have all the information, but basically saying that the polio virus, and that's another thing, virus we can get into, um, after the vaccines was more rampant and that people were actually getting polio from the vaccines. So, and we know that through the charts of uh, smallpox, polio, anthrax, um, we see over and over again, if the real statistics that the um, deaths skyrocket with the vaccines. And this is stuff people hate to hear because it goes in the face, talk about cognitive dissonance, right? But here's just a quick chart from this book, annual mortality per million at ages one to five. And this is back in the day, 1911 to 14 and 16. So measles, um, 1911 to nineteen fourteen. The death rate was 2,643, and um, this was uh, in 1916, it dropped by more than half because they had dropped the inoculation, and this is in America, um, uh, they had dropped, uh, or is this, anyways, um, by 1,388, um, and you saw then immediately massive decline, uh, same with scarlet fever, whooping cough, um, it's all, um, it's all, these, these statistics are everywhere and we can put these in the description alone, you know, below. And I'm sure you've got a ton of these stats too, Bear. Yeah. I, you know, I don't keep up on the stats. So there's great doctors out there that do presentations like this for a living. So they've got a lot of factoids at their fingertips. I'm more of a clinician. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just have to do things at work and understand the biological processes and work with them effectively. Um, you know, back to your comments about polio. That's a great one. You know, polio, um, again, purported to be a virus. Virus is another whole issue. And if you understand the psychology of uh, microorganism events in the body that we were just outlining very briefly you would understand that uh, what viruses really are. They aren't at all another separate organism as, um, as you know, medical science now thinks. But uh, polio, for instance, uh, has never been explained by the medical profession why in kids it happens at certain times of infancy predominantly, why it more often affects the right leg than the left leg. Um, yeah, another, a number of other things. But you go into New German medicine, it explains exactly why all those things happen. You know, age, size of body, they demonstrate why it happens with CAT scans. They predict what they're going to find on a CAT scan before they even take it. So, and then, of course, the people, uh, Dr. Hammer behind uh, New German medicine, you know, he, he uh, faced a life of persecution too because of what he found, even though he was getting amazing results with incurable people. Um, and then when they give the polio vaccine, you're absolutely right, in vaccinated populations, the incidence of polio goes up about 300% 
even though, you know, they tell us, well, polio's disappeared and that sort of thing. But more often what they've done is they've drive, driven the, you know, in New German medicine, we call about motor conflicts and that you have to get into other deeper principles of, of what that all means. But uh, these um, motor conflicts that affect our nervous system and are greatly enhanced by all the neurotoxins that we're subjected to in our outer environment these days, um, uh, the, the vaccine actually forces the polio symptoms to um, manifest in different ways. And uh, the first um, outbreaks of meningitis and back in the days where there's outbreaks in the military, Fort Oregon and the Monterey area, and, and you know, it's way before everybody's time probably. But uh, uh, my brother was stationed down there uh, you know, during that whole time. So um, all it does is it forces the immune system, weakens the immune system, and then forces the body to manifest symptoms in different ways. So all these neurological diseases, ALS, multiple cirrhosis, uh, Guillain, uh, you know, Barret syndrome, uh, they're all manifestations of the same motor conflict and also representing, uh, you know, on another level, the poisoning that our nervous systems are, are uh, you know, being subjected to these days. So, um, yeah, but of course, what do you do when all else fails? You blame it on a new classification of a microbe called a virus. And even though nobody's ever seen one, there's never been a test to show that there's a virus. There's only antibody tests that they have created a theory about that, oh, well, if you have this antibody, then that means you're responding to this virus that they've never seen. It's all theory based on theory. And then when they get roadblocks, uh, you know, in their theories, they create another theory to keep the narrative going, you know, in one way or the other. It's absolute. It, it's ludicrous. So if, when you say uh, nobody's yeah. seen a virus, I've had these conversations before with friends. Um, they say that he's like, you know, I had a friend say that's BS. My my uncle is a um, microbiologist, and they have all sorts of um, pictures of viruses, and he like folds them up. Yeah, and I've seen them on the cover of Scientific American, and you know, those are all computer CGI representations of what they think a virus would look like. Certain things have shown up, certain cellular particles, and uh, in different, you know, electron light microscopy and everything, but never has anything been definitively proven as what they think it is. And in fact, what a lot of what they see. Uh, can be explained going back to dark field microscopy where these uh, proteids that are the product of our own cellular production are in fact what they're seeing. And then also, you know, one of the things I do in uh, my testing with uh, people, it's called ionization analysis, and uh, we're able to see how... Uh, you know, just by studying the fluids in their body, uh, how their cellular turnover is, you know, cells uh, come and go. And we want to see, okay, is there a healthy reproduction of cells and just the right amount dying and being sloughed off in the urine? And, uh, you know, if the dead cells are exceeding the um, amounts 
that the body can successful eliminate, uh, successfully eliminate, then we can see that. And then you have a lot of this cellular debris. A lot of this cellular debris can actually become parasitic in and of itself. And then when the milliamperage of the cells, you know, when we're in a sickened uh, uh, disease state, then we actually become um, victims of, uh, of parasitization from this uh, excess cellular breakdown. And a lot of this cellular debris that's uh, visualized in different kinds of studies is then called a name like a virus and, and such. So there's all sorts of factors that we are not taught in uh, just typical pre-med med school histology. And if we were taught those things, then we would have not only a different understanding, but we'd have practical measures to help keep people healthy. So yeah, when you talk to these people, they're, you know, they're given textbooks that are designed to keep the narrative going and they do visualize things and, you know, they are taught that those things mean certain things, but they aren't what they think they are. And, uh, you know, there's just too much for the average doctor, let alone a lay person to, uh, too much information that we need to access in order to explain these things fully, let alone going all the way up to square one that the fact that the whole thing's a simulation in the first part, you know, that's when you, you talk along those lines and, you know, then they're going to commit you to an insane asylum. But in the end, that's what's going to save us all because knowing that means that we can change it in a snap. <laughs> so Yeah. And, and, that's, and if you don't think that at the highest levels of these, uh, the, the days that you were asking me about, they know this, they know it. The problem they have is they have gone down the left path so exclusively that they now have lost their ability to access that other level of themselves. And so they need to farm us for our energy so that they can keep their game going. Because yeah. if you go down the left-hand path exclusively, you will reach a point of no return. And a lot of these soulless people, which is exactly what they are, have reached that point. And so they need our energy. That's why they have us with all these false belief systems and keep us entertained with you know, uh, all the bread and circus phenomena and, and things just to keep us in a stupefied, agitated, fearful, uh, lower chakra state because that is energy that they can harness for their own purpose. They need us and at the same time, they resent us and look down on us, but they still need us. They're parasites. Yeah, yeah and... Uh, Not, yeah. As you're saying, it's at a tipping point because you can you can only be a parasite for so long until uh, the thing that you're feeding off of kicks you off, essentially, or it completely dies and then they die. And they can't they can't have the um, being a parasite. You're going to always require a body to feed off, so you can't just completely eliminate it. So basically, um, universe always kind of. Um, goes back the other way and we deal in a we talk about polarity a lot um we're you know there's a lot of people right now that are feeling this this imbalance and it needs to be rebalanced 
and go the other way. And we're really positive that we're seeing that we're, we happen to be living in that, this amazing time where we get to actually experience this great shift. And so that's why everything seems so fast and rapid right now in terms of the development of all these very draconian measures on the populace and why in politics and in society, everything seems so radical in terms of the polarity, the left versus the right and uh, everybody's um, perspective of reality. There's really um, not, not in my lifetime have we ever seen it this crazy. So that's a sign that, right, that there's, there's definitely something happening right now. Um, and so they're going to just and, keep pushing this forward and it's going to break. And, you know, Michael, I, I've told you stories behind the scenes, but in my career days, I did have the opportunity to treat certain family members from some of these old bloodlines because they don't go to regular doctors. I'll tell you that <laughs> it went you know, take their own medicine in a million years. So, um, you know, behind the scenes, they can be very cordial and, and seem pretty normal, but, uh, you have to understand they don't tick the same way. They do not have the same ability to empathize or to even understand why somebody else would empathize. So enough said on that. Um, it, you know, brings us back to last week's um, talk, which was a great one. Anybody that didn't see our interview with Sherry Edwards should really go back and watch that one. Because early in my career days, you know, I was um, involved in so sound therapies. Now, I didn't know back then what I know now, uh, but sound uh, represents the purest way to intervene on that um, pure level of waveform mechanics and cut to the chase going upstream. And Sherry's a real deal. Uh, I was um, made aware of her through my professional circle, so we went to great lengths to bring her in and have her uh, train my staff in the clinic. And with her, I built my first uh, sound room where I was able to take people into a soundproof room uh, you know, it's pretty elaborate where, you know, you couldn't be in the room at the same time. So we had a, a wall on the other side where we could speak to these people where their frequency wouldn't be interfered with. And then we were able to ascertain the tonal fields coming from their voice, find the missing notes, and then, um, you know, then design therapies uh, based on our findings. She's greatly um, developed her work since those days. Uh, as we have as well. And um, Sherry will be, uh, I'm sure, uh, a regular guest on our show. She's a kindred spirit as well as just being, you know, very advanced in her awareness and her innate abilities. Now, her abilities um, have been uh, proven, you know, uh, by different government agencies who took great interest in her abilities and then uh, uh, made her the subject of studies where they came to the same conclusion that while wow, this person has, you know, has these extraordinary, as she uh, explains herself as uh, like a, a, like a mutant of some sort mm -hmm. that can hear things that other people can't hear. But I bring her up again, not just to encourage people to watch that episode, um, but in order to understand that we have to very quickly elevate our awareness and, and implement 
therapies, uh, technologies, not just for our bodies, but for our energy resources that allow us to access directly from the source rather than being dependent on, uh, you know, archaic ideas and technologies. And uh, next week we have, uh, you can tell us more about it, Michael, we have a great guest who's going to talk about solar minimum. I'm looking forward to that talk because as a permaculturist uh, farmer, which is how I occupy most of my time these days, um, you know, we're very aware of changes uh, in the environment and the climate, uh, not global warming or or climate crisis or whatever new name they have to think of an excuse to lay a carbon tax and control us more. But the real changes that are happening as part of the, as part of the larger macro uh, cycles uh, that are under the dictations of solar activities. Um, but he's going to tell us a lot about what we're in for in the next few years. And um, that's why it's so important with our project where, you know, we, yeah, we're still interested in helping people in their bodies, but more importantly, we want to take measures where we can actually have people, you know, have food to eat and be able to thrive through these coming climactic conditions that are going to greatly shorten, um, you know, growing cycles and things and farm production. So everything we're about here is about solution and in order to understand what the solutions are we had to explore the shadows and find out why we're in the predicament we're in and so if anybody out there feels like a lot of this is ominous or negative no not at all what's ominous and negative is being ignorant and just intuitively waiting for the other shoe to drop which is the sorry state of most of humanity right now, which is, you know, you, you really don't understand what's going on, but you just know something's messed up and we all know something's about to happen. And uh, so, you know, that is real fear when you uh, are adult enough to look at the truth, then you find the solutions and that's what we're doing. Agriculture, medicine, and uh, technologies is a seamless science, and we just happen to be on the forefront of it. We're very blessed to be um, in constant communication with a lot of the best people in the world. We're going to have some other folks that we'll tell you about later that are going to be on the show that are going to be providing the basis of why these solutions are here under our nose, and they've been here the whole time. So, um, yeah, stop listening to the, the network news out there. Yeah, a um, couple points. Sherry Edwards was an amazing guest, and actually I was just talking to uh, their team uh, the last few days, and they want to have Dr. Lando on their show, so we're setting that up. So that'll be great, and then we'll have her back on, of course. And once again, hers, her website is uh, soundhealthportal.com, which is a great place you can actually go and um, – and test out some of her technology right on the site there for free. It's pretty cool. And um, then as far as next week goes, we have David Dubine from Adapt 2030, which is an amazing YouTube channel. We highly recommend where he every day uncovers and shows the fallacy of the current climate crisis propaganda. And in fact, yes, climate change of course exists, but it has to do with the sun, um, human 
the human's effect is very marginal. Of course, this is not to say pollution doesn't exist. And we have horrendous pollution in the world when it comes to all sorts of things that we need to stop. Um, but as far as climate change goes, carbon and the carbon emissions and all that stuff, he, he does an amazing job at explaining um, just how unscientific that is. And it's really starting to break into the mainstream now um, and how all their models are ridiculous and everything. And intuitively, we kind of see that. But um, he'll be an amazing guest because we're going to really go into solutions here. And as someone who also is really into gardening and farming on my land, uh, just this last week, we had insane, um, it just ended yesterday, like a, a totally abnormal uh, cold weather front came through, dumping rain. We were getting snow on our local mountains. This is all stuff David talks about with the coming um, grand solar minimum. Uh, it's a 400-year cycle that we're hitting right now. And historically, you can go look and you can see the fall and rise of civilizations all based on this stuff. And um, it's kind of crazy that, you know, we, we're actually, um, we're enjoying a, a warm period that is natural. And that's, this was the 20th century where we had uh, all this great technological achievements and stuff. Um, and you can go back and look throughout the history and see where when it's warm and actually and our warming period was much less than the warm warmer middle ages and other times greek and roman empires etc where life thrives and actually uh, all this global warming hysteria um, it's funny because our current um, overall temperatures are much lower than even like the middle ages um, so he'll get into all that and it all connects too which is cool it all connects to what we we're talking about today in terms of the science of the sun and the as above, so below concept really all syncs up and we'll get into some wonderful solutions that we're all about so that people can thrive during these times. Uh, and then, yeah, in the future, we have some amazing guests coming. So uh, please subscribe to us on um, here on DLive. We stream every Thursday at 10 in the morning, Pacific Standard Time dlive.tv forward slash alpha vedic if you want to jump in on the talks we've had some fun conversations today we're really trying to ramp up this aspect of our show so that we can have more engagement uh, during the show and, and answer questions we then uh, premiered on youtube at 5 p.m pacific standard time same day today so if you're at youtube if you like youtube please subscribe to us on youtube and hit the notification bell to get alerted when our new shows are on there and of course, this is a podcast that is featured on um, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, getting it on all the other platforms as well. I keep getting message that we're on these other platforms I've never heard of. So it must be working somewhat through the Podbean distribution system. So um, you can listen to the show on uh, as a podcast if you like, and please subscribe to us there as well. Give us a review if you enjoy this content. It really helps us out. Um, and then of course, we are on Telegram which is something I talk about every week. It's our daily chat um, community. You can get Telegram right on your phone or your computer and join us, uh, t.me forward slash Alpha Vedic. We have a great um, thriving community on there and would love to see that explode because as we talked about today, as far as solutions go, knowledge is paramount. Above and beyond everything is a higher awareness of what's going on in this world. And it goes all the way up to um, knowing ourselves internally as, as the, the number one important thing to do. So we get into philosophy, we get into spiritualism, we get into consciousness as 
the most important things to understand, and that relates then to everything, to health and to our happiness. So those are the things that we love to talk about the most, and we really geek out a lot on that stuff on uh, Telegram as, well, as far as also just dropping tons of fun links. We've got a good community there, really insightful, smart people. So please join us on Telegram. I can't say that enough. We're also launching a Patreon channel to take this to the next level. Uh, we are in need of funding to go to the next level. Our mission is to spread this awareness and knowledge as far as we can. So the Patreon will be a great way for us to get some additional funding for marketing and more infrastructure building for us. We are Alpha Vedic itself is an off-grid uh, farming operation um, where we are expanding our operation growing Jiaogu Lawn, which is a longevity aptogenic herb that we feel is um, one of the best things that you can ingest for your internal milieu. So we are rapidly expanding that operation so that we can get a viable, more viable product out to the market because currently most of the Jiaogu Lawn you get comes from Asia and is riddled with pesticides. So that is our actual business side of our operation, as well as um, alphavedic.com, where you can find uh, the other products that we offer. Uh, we are expanding into our Life Force brand, which will be our retail brand. And we have a ton of fun and exciting products that will be coming out to the retail market. So we are very busy um, on our entrepreneurial pursuits, as well as our farming and, of course, in the media side. The Patreon will be great because... Uh, Bear and Deb uh, on the off-grid farm, as well as myself and other people involved in our company, um, will give you an insider's look on what it takes to run an off-grid farm, uh, as well as you know homesteading and all those wonderful notions. So a lot of people really love that stuff. So if you want to get an insider's look onto what it takes to do these things, uh, join our Patreon page and subscribe to get those insider looks. Um, to cap it off today, um, as far as solutions go, I guess you know. It's funny, even just while talking to you, Bear, I'm already feeling a lot better <laughs> from as far as my cold goes. And I'm going to go do some more yoga and meditation after this and then go make a, a tasty smoothie with all sorts of yummy good stuff in it. Um, any final uh, parting thoughts? Obviously, we're going to have to continue this education and this, um, and this um, talk into further podcasts. I see us doing a bioterrain one, I see us doing a new German medicine one. I see us doing one on um, uh, the guy in San Diego. I'm blanking on his name we were talking about. And what was his name again? Royal, <laughs> Royal Rife. Royal Rife. Um, we're going to continue to do more and more of these shows. And then Nason's, um, man, would there be a way for us to get him on the show? That would be incredible. Yeah, he's up there in years. I don't know. I haven't seen him since... Uh maybe early 90s or something. So um, that was up in Canada, Toronto. Yeah, but I think we covered a lot of good material. Um, you know, it's supposed to be part two of uh, the germ theory. And in typical fashion, we went all over the map. But I hope people are starting to understand that things aren't as tidy as what we're taught. And there's uh, a lot of uh, avenues of exploration that you really need to jump down a lot of rabbit holes to make sense of things. So my purpose, um, just going here and there, is just to maybe plant some seeds uh, of some of those areas that might fascinate people and also reveal a lot of truth. But over the next few months, we'll have the opportunity to expand a lot of these concepts and explore them further. And uh, 
you know, give links to help you do the same. One thing I recommend too, as far as if you're, you're into this stuff and you want to really engage in your own um, health sovereignty is, you know, it's fun. It's important to have entertainment and everyone has different ways to entertain themselves, whether it's being outside and active or like, I like to fish and I enjoy um, working in the garden. I enjoy playing with my kids. And of course I am a movie buff. So I enjoy watching movies more usually the older movies since the newer stuff's just horrendous. But maybe one thing I could recommend is getting off the boob tube, getting off cable television per se, even or even Netflix and these and just in these reality shows and stuff instead spend some time reading or, or listening to um, more information on this stuff. Um, there is a ton of actual really entertaining um, books and, um, and other shows too you can watch um, that can help in your education. And one thing we will be working on is getting an entire resources page developed uh, for our patron, Patreon uh, and on our website so that you guys can have more resources to follow and read up on stuff. Like right now I'm reading, cause I'm a big crypto nut. I'm reading the Bitcoin standard, um, by if I'm sorry if I butcher his name, uh, safety on Amos. I highly recommend this one bear cause I know you like Bitcoin. Okay. Um, and, uh, it's just a great book exp- and I would love to do a show on Bitcoin too. Um, but a great book, just explaining all the basics and it kind of ties in a lot of the creature Jekyll Island book, which we love. But, um, that's just my parting words as a little advice coming from me is something that I've noticed has really changed my life is that, um, someone who used to work in Hollywood and would engage in a lot of these shows that we're seeing more and more that they're integrating a lot of the propaganda directly into the entertainment, which we've they've been doing for God centuries. Um, but stepping away, stepping out of the mainstream a bit is something that can really help. So obviously as far as food, stop, you know, it's really easy to stop at McDonald's or whatever and grab a bite. Uh, it's quick, but put more effort into growing your own food and being in control uh, of where your food comes from, uh, where your entertainment comes from, uh, where your schooling comes from, where your, uh, your, your medical uh, help comes from. And really, uh, if we want to see the change in the world is all in ourself. And the more that we can become sovereign in control of everything, all facets of our life, the more one will be healthier and happier and two will help on the transition to, for the greater good. So um, I think we can leave it at that bear. Any final words? Nope. Couldn't have said it better. Okay, man. Well, Hey, uh, I know it's nice today and it's going to be nice for the next couple of days. So I'm sure you'll be running out to the garden and the farm to get some work in knowing you. And I hope you enjoy that time as I plan on doing myself. I actually fished, for the first time yesterday with the rains, the benefit of the rains is that the river went up and um, I intuitively saw and, it, and actually heard from a neighbor that the, when the, the ants and the, um, there was a, a couple different hatches which show that nature is working quickly here that the fish would be coming up. And so what do you know, I took it as a hint to go try a little steelhead fishing uh, yesterday and I caught a couple half pounders so the steelhead are coming up months early because of these weather changes. And that's something we can talk about next week more with David. But um, I'm going to go fish a little and uh, enjoy this weather. So everybody, thanks for listening today or watching wherever you are in the world. We hope you got something out of this show. And we look forward to uh, next week's show. Have a wonderful day. Cheers.